for the Lord. May we have that much love for the Lord. That's a, that's a Job-like love, right? Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. He kept his eyes on Jesus. Amen? It's beautiful. It's beautiful. Amen. It's good to be in the house of the Lord today. God bless each and every one of you. Welcome to Return Church. If you don't know me, I'm Pastor Chad, and uh, we're, we're thrilled that you are here this morning. It's going to be a good day in the house of the Lord. You guys already have your seats. So let's stand one more time. We're going to take our offering. How many of you are excited to give today? How many of you enjoy giving? How many of you know God loves to give? Amen. Amen. And we're, we're, we're his children. We have his DNA. Amen. We've been regened. We're like our father. Amen. He's a giver. Amen. Every good and every perfect gift comes down from above, from the father of lights, in whom is no variableness or shadow of turning. Amen. God's not a shifty character. He's not schizophrenic. He's not one way one day and one, one way another. He's the same yesterday and t- today and forever. Amen. He's a good God. He's a giver. Amen. That's who our God is. Amen. Let's pray. Father, I thank you. I thank you for your goodness to us. I thank you for your faithfulness to us. Lord, we honor you today. The first fruits of our increase with our tithe, with our offering. Lord, I just pray, Lord, that you would bless everybody in this building. Show favor upon everyone. Health, strength, joy, provision. Lord, we thank you for it. We give you praise for it today. We honor you in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you as you give. God bless you. Again, I'm glad that you're all here. I was, uh, I don't know, second song in maybe of worship. I was, I'm having a great day. I don't know about you, but I'm having a great day. Amen. All day I've had just an amazing peace, a sense of joy. I, I just sense the favor of God, the presence of God, and it's a good day. Amen. Today's a beautiful day. Isn't it outside? It's just gorgeous. You know, God's so good even when it rains, even when the wind's blowing, storming outside, whatever's going on, God's still good, isn't he? But it's having such an incredible peace of God. And uh, while we were worshiping, I just, just an amazing sense of gratitude. Um, I, I want to say this. I love you guys. I love you all. Amen. Thank you. And honored. To, to serve as a pastor and just to serve this congregation, the people. I was thinking about this. I was looking at the people up on the stage and um, just incredibly grateful for all of you. I began to look around the altar and then I actually turned and looked over my shoulder just looking around at the people. 
We got a bunch of people in here this morning and a bunch of people out in the nursery and the kids' ministry. And I'm just grateful for you all. I'm grateful for what God's doing here. Amen. God is good, isn't he? I got problems. Any of y'all have problems? I got all kinds of problems. That's right. I'm not even going to highlight my problems. I got lots of problems. I'm sure you all do too. But God's still good. Life is good. Amen. I'm, I'm enjoying the goodness of God in the middle of all of it. Amen. I, I want to talk to you today as we get into the Word of God. My, our message is, is called An Acre of Hope. An Acre of Hope. And we're going to be looking in Hosea chapter 2. And here, here's our idea today. It, is that hope is so much greater than greed. Hope is greater than greed. Everybody say, hope is greater than greed. All right, now say it like you mean. Hope is greater than greed. One more time. Hope is greater than greed. You see, we get greedy and we start taking stuff because we don't have an expectation in God. We don't have a hope. We don't have what we want yet, and so we think God's behind. And so we start getting greedy, right? Hope is greater than greed. That's where we're going to go today. Hosea, Old Testament prophet of Hosea, chapter 2. Hosea chapter 2, and we're going to read beginning in verse 14. Therefore, behold, I will allure her. God's, God's been alluring you for a long time. I don't know if you're a Christian or if this is your first time in a church. But God has been alluring you. God has been trying to draw you. Amen. God loves you. Speaking of Israel here, he says, I will allure her and I will bring her into the wilderness and speak comfort to her. I will give her her vineyards from there and the valley of Acre as a door of hope. She shall sing there as in the days of her youth as in the day when she came up from the land of Egypt. Don't stop singing. Amen? Amen. Sing. When you start getting down, sing. You may feel barren, sing. Right? Sing, old barren. Sing. Sing the song of your youth. Sing the song of deliverance. Sing the song of the day that he brought you up out of Egypt. How many of you remember the day he saved you? How many of you remember the day that the chains were, they, they fell at your feet and you walked free? How many of you remember the day the prison door was open? Amen. How many of you remember the song of joy? Amen. Sing. Don't stop singing that song. As in the days of her youth, she's going to sing. As in the, the day when she came up out of the land of Egypt. And it shall be in that day, says the Lord, that you will call me my husband and no longer my master. For I will take from her mouth the names of the Baals, the other gods, and they shall be remembered by their name no more. And then here's a little prophetic um, look to a day ahead. And we, we, we spent last month looking through Revelation. We're teaching through some, some of Revelation on Wednesday nights right now, talking about the end, study of end times. And, and if, you want to, if you want to understand the book of Revelation, you need to understand the Old Testament. Amen. Because there's, there's so much. The, the, the keys, the codes to unlocking and understanding Revelation are in, in the Scripture. 
right? The, the Old Testament scripture points to that day that we're looking for, the one we just sang about, when, when our faith is turned to sight, when the clouds are rolled away, when the trumpet resounds and the Lord himself will descend. And this, this verse looks forward to that. It says, in that day I will make a covenant for them with the beasts of the field and the birds of the air and with the creeping things of the ground. Bow and sword of battle I will shatter from the earth to make them lie down safely. Amen. How many of you know there's a day coming when the war will cease, when the striving is going to cease? I'm looking forward to that day. Verse 15 is really the verse that I want to highlight. I uh, will give for them the, the, in the valley of Acre a door of hope. And I want to talk to you about an acre of hope. Trouble. How many of you have trouble? Right? Job, Job talked about it. Job's friends, when they were rebuking him and, I don't know, maybe trying to encourage, whatever they were trying to do there, one of his friends says to Job that, you know, tr trouble doesn't come up out of the ground. It, it's actually born of man. Just as sure as the sparks of the fire fly up. Right? How many of you know that we cause a lot of our own problems? Amen. The majority of our own problems. Amen. Trouble. Job said, man who is born of a woman is a few days and full of trouble. This isn't just like financial problems. Anybody got financial problems? You don't have to raise your hand. Medical problems, family problems, marriage problems, kid problems, church problems. This is not the kind of problems we're talking about here. This is actually the problem that we bring about upon ourselves through sin, right? Yeah. Talking about the valley of trouble, and I listen, I, I do this just about every week when I'm going to preach. I, I kind of go around the, the subjects that I'm going to preach on, and I listen throughout the week, several, several different messages, whatever I can find out there on YouTube, about the topic that I'm going to be preaching. I'll, I'll be working, I'll be driving or something, and I'll put those messages on and just listen to them. And I, I heard several preachers talk about financial trouble and all these types of things, and God's going to give you a door of hope in the middle of your you know, financial debacle and all these types of things. It's really not what we're talking about here. The context of this, the Valley of Acre, if we're going to understand that, you have to go back to the book of Joshua, chapter 7. Uh, God's bringing his people into the promised land. They have a great triumph in, in chapter 6, and they didn't even have to fight for it, right? They did it God's way. God told them to march around the walls. The walls would fall, and he would give them the city. That's what happened, right? They, they listened to God. They obeyed God. God gave them victory. And then there were spoils. So they got the spoils of, of Jericho, right? They, 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 they won the booty. They got the prize. They got all of the riches of Jericho. And they're getting ready to move, to continue to move into the land and to conquer and the next chapter, chapter 7, verse 1, starts out with a, with a very interesting beginning. It says that Achan, it, well, back up, it says that, that the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. Because Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took the accursed thing. And it talks about from there, verse 2, it begins to talk about how they, they began to, they sent spies into the land, and they, they came back with a report and said, 
you know, we, only need to, we don't need to send the whole army. Let's only send a portion of the army in. You know what happens here? They begin to get lifted up in their pride. Jericho, they took God's way. In Ai, they begin to advance in their own wisdom, in their own intellect. They begin to move on what they were seeing with their eyes. Hey, this army's not so bad. We can take them. Like, we don't even have to, it's not even that, they're not that great of an army. We don't even have to send our full force. Let's just send a couple hundred thousand troops in. We don't have to send the entire army in here. They begin to get lifted up. They go and they face Ai and they, they suffer defeat. It says that 36 of those men that were with Joshua were struck down. I mean, they, they took Jericho without, without a casualty. They took Jericho without a fight because they did it God's way. But as they're moving into AI and doing it in their own ability, their own, with their own strategy, their own wisdom, by what they're seeing, what happens? They suffer defeat. They don't overcome this army at AI. Joshua is broken. He goes before the Lord weeping. The Lord actually gives, he tells Joshua, you need to get up. Get up, wash your face, call the people together, and we're going to take care of business. God calls all of the people together, and he begins to call them out. He winnows them down. He starts, remember, says that Achan was the son of uh, Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah. Well, he begins with Judah, and he begins to work backwards. He, he, he singles out Judah, and he says, all right, does anybody in Judah want to confess? And then he moves from there. I, get the, I have to do this backwards. Zerah, I think it is. The, tribe, the family of Zerah, then of Zabdi, then of Carmi. And then he calls out Achan and his family. And Joshua says, Achan, it's time to give glory to God by confessing. And Achan confesses. As they had gone in and, and had, had victory in Jericho, and they were collecting the spoils of that battle, Achan was attracted to this, just three, three things, a Babylonian garment, takes 200 shekels of silver, and a wedge of gold that the Bible says is worth 50 shekels in weight. The Bible says, here's the thing, he couldn't, he stole it. He could not even wear the, the Babylonian garment to show it off. He couldn't spend the money. He couldn't spend the gold. He couldn't spend the silver. He had no need of it. God is leading his people into the promised land and providing everything that they need. He has no need of money. He can't show off this garment that, that God said was his. So you know what he does? He goes and he buries it under a rug in his tent. It's a picture for us of us laying hold of things that God doesn't intend for us to have. And really, honestly, this is a picture of tithe. I believe that Jericho is a type of the tithe. It's the first city that they conquer as they're going into the land. And God says that the possessions there, the, the booty of that, the spoil of that victory belongs to me. Put it in my treasury, right? It's like the tithe, the, the tenth. It belongs to the Lord. 
As they're going into the promised land, God's saying that that belongs to me. The first victory, the spoils, are mine. All of the rest of it is yours. But take the spoils of Jericho and put them in my treasury. It's a picture for us of the tithe. Tithing matters. It does. It still matters today. Unfortunately, there are ministers standing in pulpits today saying that it doesn't, but it does. Tithing has always mattered to God from the very beginning, even until now. One of the ways that we understand sound doctrine is it runs from the beginning to the end. Right? Well, they don't talk about tithing in the New Testament. Oh, yes, they do. Hebrews teaches tithing. Jesus taught tithing. It is taught in New Testament Scripture. It is still for us today. And there's a blessedness in tithing. Tithing is about one thing. You want to know what it is? It's it's about the primacy of God. It's about prioritizing God. It's about putting God first. Honor the Lord. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 9 and 10 says, Honor the Lord with your possessions, with the first fruits of all of your increase. So your barns will be filled with plenty, and your vats will overflow with new wine. Honor the Lord with the first fruits of your increase. Of everything that God increases you with, the first tenth is his. Jericho, it's a picture of this. It belongs to the Lord. And as soon as Achan and his family laid hold on the things that belonged to God, those things that were supposed to be a blessing, Hebrews teaches that that. The 10%, this is, and this is not word for word, but if you go and read in Hebrews when it's talking about the Melchizedek priesthood, the 10% blesses the 90%. It's worded this way in, in, in uh, Hebrews, that the lesser blesses the greater. That 10% that we give to God blesses the 90% that God allows us to steward. That 10% is acknowledgement, honestly, that the 100% belongs to God. That all that I have, all that God entrusts to me, belongs to him. Tithing is a statement of faith. It is. Tithing will also humble your money. Tithing will humble your money. What does that mean? I believe it's an arrogant statement. I believe it's a boast against God when we decide not to tithe. When we decide not to give God what is rightfully his, we're saying, God... I don't trust you to provide what I need, so I'm going to keep the whole thing. Otherwise, I won't be able to pay my electric bill. Otherwise, I'm not going to be able to provide what my family needs. When we acknowledge God with the tithe, we're saying to God, Lord, I trust that you're going to take care of everything that I need. The 90% is not not enough. The 90% is not enough. But God, you are more than enough. You're bigger than all of it. And you're going to take care of me. It humbles our money. When we refuse to tithe, I believe we are leaning on our own understanding. 
God has established it. It's, it's established. Well, that's of the law. No, it was way before the law. After the law and the new covenant, tithing is still effective because it's honoring God with our first fruits. It's choosing not to lean on our own understanding. Well, I need that. Here's our, our understanding. I need that 10% to pay this bill. Right? That's us choosing to lean on our own understanding. So tithing humbles our money. It takes care of this pride that's in us that says, you know what? I, I, I don't trust God. I'm going to take care of this myself. No, tithing is giving the 10% and saying, God, I humbly submit to you. And I trust that you're going to take care of every need that I have. What is it that causes us not to give, not to tithe? It's fear and it's greed. Why, why did Achan lay his hands on those things that God says are mine to be put into my treasury? Why did Achan lay hand, hands on those? It was his greed. Greed is an inordinate desire. It's wrapped up, it's, it's, it's connected with, with lust, right? With covetousness. These things are all kind of tied together. Their roots are in our pride, right? And they manifest through inordinate desire in our life. The desire to have a bigger house, the desire to have a bigger car, right? The desire to impress the neighbors, the desire to have what our neighbors have. These things, these are inordinate desires. And, and, I, and listen, I believe that God did put a desire in us to go and get, right? Deuteronomy says that it's God who gave us the power to gain wealth that we can establish his covenant on planet Earth. But our, our pride and our covetousness, is not, it's, it moves us to get stuff, not for establishing God's covenant, not for, for seeing his kingdom expand on planet Earth through our lives. It's for our own selfish gain. Does that make sense? Here, here's what we're seeing with, with Achan. And because of this, he troubles Israel. The Bible in, in Chronicles calls Achan the troubler of Israel. Joshua is going to use that language here as we continue through this story. He's going to use this language with Jacob. Why did you trouble Israel? So this is the trouble that we're talking about. Again, it's not because there's a bad economy out there. It's not that kind of trouble. It's not like who's in the White House. It's not that kind of trouble. That's big trouble. Uh, it's not who's in, not because it's a Democrat, or, but it's, it's usually just in general trouble. Who's in the, the, the House of Representatives? Who's in the State House? Corrupt men. Right? Who are running a system that's crashing and imploding. I'm, and this is not that kind of trouble. It's not trouble like you got mugged. It's not that kind of trouble. It's the trouble that results from our sin. The greed of Achan brought trouble upon him. Not only that, upon his house. Not only that, upon Israel. I heard uh, back in 2000, uh, Pastor, Pastor Rene Monet, if you know Pastor Ben Bufkin, this was the man who preceded Pastor Ben. I heard in 2000, Pastor Rene Monet preach a message here out of Joshua chapter 7 about Achan, and his, his sermon topic was this, what will your sin cost me? One man, Achan, as they were gathering the spoils of Jericho, takes a Babylonian garment, 200 shekels of silver, and a wedge of gold. And because of that, 
defeat at Ai. Because of that, the judgment that comes as you read through the rest of the chapter, here's what happens. Achan confesses before the whole assembly of the people. He confesses. And God pronounces a judgment upon him. You know what that judgment is? Take him, his entire family, and all of his possessions and pile stones upon him. And that's the way this happens. And, and Joshua, in that, he says, Why have you troubled Israel? Because of your sin, because of what you have done, this is what's going to result. And they do that. That's how the seventh chapter of, this, this, uh, of Joshua ends. It's with them piling stones upon Achan, upon his entire household and all of his possessions, his donkeys, all of his possessions. And they say that there's a place now in the Valley of Acre where there's this pile of stones. They believe it's this place where God judged Achan and his family. Well, that's severe. Well, I... I I don't think that God is severe. I think God is just. See, we, we don't understand the severity of our sin. When we indict God as being severe, we don't understand the severity of our sin. That there are consequences. Every time that I sin, every time that you sin, there's consequences. There's consequences for me. If I were to sin, there's consequences for me. There would be consequences for my wife. There would be consequences for my children. And there would be consequences for this church, for my greater extended family, for everybody that I'm connected with. If I murder someone and go to jail... It's going to have consequences for my wife and children. It would have consequences. Me being the pastor of this church, it would have consequences for this church. It would hurt everybody that my life's connected to. What does our sin cost others? We never consider that. We just think about the short uh, moments of pleasure that it's going to bring, and we allow that to lead us into destruction. Sin destroys, and greed is, is a corrosive agent that erodes our souls. Right? It affects us. And when we're talking about trouble in this passage, that's what it's talking about. It's the trouble of sin. It's the weight of sin. It's the consequence of sin. It's the cost of sin. And how many of you understand that all of us are, are born into that? All of us come into this life and live our life under the weight of sin, under the shame of sin, under the trouble of sin, under the consequence of sin. Why all the world wars? Why all of the economic problems? Why all the political problems? Why are all, all these problems that we see in culture today? It's the result of sin. We are under the weight of that. And God says that in the midst of that, trouble, I'm going to set a door. I want to read the message translation of that. Hosea chapter 2, it's the text that we read, but verse 14 and 15, it says, and now here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to start all over again. Thank God for grace. Thank God for second chances. I'm taking her back out into the wilderness where we had our first date, and I'm going to court her. I'll give her bouquets of roses. And look, look at this. I, I'll, I'll turn Heartbreak Valley into acres of hope. She'll respond like she did as a young girl, those days when she was fresh out of Egypt. 
to where I got the title for our message today. I'll, I'll turn Heartbreak Valley into Acres of Hope. See, the Valley of Acre is this valley where Achan troubled Israel. And God says, in the midst of that trouble, and, and he, he gives us a picture of the consequence of our sin, stone upon stone piled upon us. Death and the weight of sin. And he says, in the middle of that valley, I'm going to give a door of hope, and, and probably better translated, a space of hope. One little acre of hope in the middle of the valley of trouble. Hope is an important thing. Hope can be defined as the optimism and confidence that comes from knowing God can be trusted even when we have no idea what he's up to. David Cook used to say, you need to trust God even when you can't trace God. Hope. See, we all have needs. We all have dreams. We have ambition and aspiration. And God, it's God-given. God gave us that for a reason. He's, he's intended for us to be conquerors. He's intended for us to be possessors. Right? But he's to lead us into the possessing. He's to lead us into the, the victory. It's not us taking up on ourselves. And that's what happens. We get greedy. God, you said I'd have this, and I don't have it yet, so I'm going to go take it for myself. I see this thing that I like, and I'm going to go grab it. Instead of waiting upon you, instead of trusting you for something, how many, how many of you have ever had a dream that tarried? How many of you have, you have a call that you, you, it just seems to be elusive? It's like just dangling out there. In front, no, no, no matter how long you wait, no matter how patient you are, how often you strive, every step he tells you, you're obedient to take out that step out, and yet it still seems to elude you. Here's a secret. That's the way this works, and that's the way it's always going to be. The call of God is not something that we ever attain. The call of God is something that's out in front of us, that's beckoning us. That's why it's called the call. It's beckoning us to go forward. And I, I believe that there is a, 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 a holy dissatisfaction that God puts in us. I'm, not, I'm, I'm glad and content and fulfilled in where we are as a church today, on one hand. But on the other hand, I'm not satisfied. I want to see more outreach. I want to see more discipleship. I want to see more soul saved. I want to see the, the seats filled. I want to see multiple services on the weekends. Why? I have a desire for God's kingdom. We should want his church to grow. We should want to be fruitful. We should want things to be moving forward, right? We've got to be careful, though, that we don't allow that to become an inordinate desire on the inside of us that drives us and pushes us to destruction. 
where we start trying to go and lay hold on things that God isn't ready for us to possess yet. And we start strategizing and doing it our, our own way. Yeah, yeah, that outreach isn't so hard. Yeah, we should just send a few people over there. That's, that was the attitude, right, of God's people in Joshua chapter 7. The army over there's not, not, they're not that tough. Let's just send a few, you know, part of our army over there will defeat them, right? We start doing things our way, we get in trouble. Why, why was there this judgment that came? The, the death of the 36 men, the death of Achan and his family. It's a picture of the severity of sin, the consequence of sin. It's a picture of what happens whenever we move in pride. Right? We have a better hope. We have a God that's good. We have a God that's faithful. We have a God that sees the end from the beginning, and if he hasn't brought me this far yet, it's because he knows something that I don't know. We have a greater hope. Again, Hope is the optimism and confidence that comes from knowing God can be trusted even when we have no idea what he's up to. Hope is also the stubborn, unrelenting determination to allow the hardships of life not to downsize the bigness of God. When we don't yet see what we're anticipating, we're looking at the greatness of God. Romans chapter 5 or 15 verse 4 says such things were written in the scriptures long ago to teach us. The scriptures give us hope and encouragement as we wait patiently for God's promises to be fulfilled. Hope is, here in this text, the word elpis in the Greek, and it's a confident expectation. It's a confident expectation. It's not a whimsical wish. Hope is not fanciful. There's substance to hope. It's rather writer would write in Hebrews 11 and 1, now faith is the substance of things hoped for. It's the confident expectation that God is faithful to his promise. He's promised us this land. We're going to inherit it and all of its possessions. So I don't have to rush out and grab some Babylonian garment. I don't have to try to hide some silver and gold under my tent because I'm not going to have enough. Now, I have a confident expectation that God is going to take care of me. I want, I want us to understand this, church. Our, our hope is only as good as the person in whom we place that hope. Our hope honestly can't be anchored in people. It can't be anchored in places. It can't be anchored on things. It has to be anchored solely upon the person of Jesus Christ. Our expectations are only as good as the person 
in whom we place them. You place your hope in me, I'm going to disappoint you. But you're our pastor, yes, and I'm a mortal man. You follow me around long enough throughout the day, I will disappoint you some way or another. But Jesus, when we hope in him, amen, let me encourage you this morning, don't, don't lose hope. Don't lose hope. Hopelessness is the, the premature anticipation that God will fail to fulfill his promise. Did you hear that? Hopelessness is the premature anticipation that God will fail to fulfill his promise. How many of you know God is not slack concerning his promises? They are yes and amen. Yes, that's an affirmative. Amen. That means it's going, let, let it be. God's not a man that he should lie. If he said it, we can trust it. Amen? The sin of unbelief is manifest in our lives in hopelessness. Let's be honest. How many of you have wrestled? I have with hopelessness. I've wrestled with it this week. I've wrestled with it this year. Hopelessness. This is never going to change. When's my big break going to come? Right? We all struggle with those feelings. Wherever there is hopelessness, it means that somebody has stopped believing too soon. Don't lose hope. Don't stop believing. Hope is the expectation that God is going to perform what our faith believes is true. How do we deal with disappointments? Right? How do we deal with disappointments? Because when we have expectation, there will be disappointments. How do we deal with it? First Peter chapter 1. Verse 6. Peter says, be truly glad. There is wonderful joy ahead, even though you must endure many trials for a little while. These trials will show that your faith is genuine, that it is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold. Though your faith is far more precious than mere gold, so when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. You love him even though you have never seen him. Though you do not see him now, you trust him. And you rejoice with a glorious, inexpressible joy. The reward for trusting him will be the salvation of your souls. We're going to baptize here in just a minute. I'm, uh, Cody, Nate, you guys can go get ready. I'm going, to, I'm going to wrap up. I want to point us back to our text one more time. A door of hope 
in the valley of trouble. Hosea chapter 2, verse 15. In the New Living Translation, he tells us, I'm going to transform the valley of trouble into a gateway of hope. A space. A gateway. A door of hope. It's an awesome passage of, of Scripture. In Micah chapter 2, I think it's around verses 12 and 13. He talks about the noise, the clamor of the multitude. It's, it's a picture of a sheepfold back in, in those uh, Sheep herding days in Israel, there were these sheepfolds that they would build out in the pastures. They, would, they didn't have the fences. They didn't have all, all that going on back in that day. They would lead their, their sheep through these open pastures to graze. They would graze a pasture until they ran out of grass and they would move on to the next pasture. And these shepherds would construct sheepfolds out in these pastures. Great circular structures, just high enough to keep the, the sheep in. And with every one of these sheepfolds, there was one door. There's one space, one gateway. And every evening, the shepherd would lead those sheep. He would walk himself through that gateway into that sheepfold, and those sheep would follow after him. How many of you know sheep follow the shepherd? I heard a story about a scene that was over in the Middle East. There was a tourist there, and they saw this, what do you call them, flock or herd or sheep, whatever you call them, group of sheep moving through this village, and behind them there was a guy with a stick hitting them in the back of the legs. And they were all, man, moving forward. And this tourist said to the tour guide, he said, I didn't, I didn't know that the shepherd led the sheep like that. He said, I thought they, they led. He said, that's not the, the shepherd, that's the butcher. See, the sheep will follow the shepherd. My sheep know my voice. And they will not follow another. How many of you know Jesus is the great shepherd? And he leads those sheep into that fold every night, into safety. There's security from the wolves. those sheep can go in there and they can lie down. And you know what the door was? The shepherd. The shepherd himself would lay himself down in that space. Jesus says, no man will get to you unless they come through me. He is the gate. He himself is the door. He lays himself in the doorway to bring protection for us. In that passage in Micah, chapter 2, 12 and 13, 
talks about the great clamor of the multitudes. It's the sheep in the morning. Beginning to move around. The sun is coming up. This is actually where we get our term breakfast. It means you break your fast. There's no grass in that sheepfold. It's all been worn down. And the sheep haven't eaten all night. And so the clamor, meh, meh, the multitudes of sheep. Wake the shepherd. And Micah says the, the breaker will arise. It's the shepherd that he's referring to. The breaker in verse 13 of Micah 2. The breaker will arise and will walk out before them and lead them. Those sheep, as that shepherd rises up out of that gateway and begins to walk out into the pasture, those sheep scramble and squeeze, following the shepherd out to the green pastures. Church, this is a picture for us. God says, I'm going to put a gate in the valley of trouble. The valley of trouble. The place of the pain of our sin. The place of shame. The place where we bear reproach of sin. God put a gate. The cross of Calvary. And that picture in Micah chapter 2, verses 12 and 13 is a picture. When Jesus rose up out of that grave, the breaker has risen before. There's a space. There's a way out. Amen? Here's the picture. God says, I'm going to put a gate in the midst of your valley of trouble, a way of escape. How many of you know the Lord knows how to deliver the righteous out of any trouble? Amen? This is the picture. This is a reference to the way out of our sin. We don't have to bear the sin. We don't have to bear the shame. We don't have to bear the sorrow of it. We don't have to die the death. We don't have to get up under the weight of those stones piled upon us because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. The breaker arises, and he goes out before us. He leads us. I've actually made some notes from our our song. We were singing a song uh, I think it was Shannon that was singing, and she says, run into wide open spaces. Grace is waiting for you. Amen? Instead of judgment, instead of the pile of stones being thrown over you and your family because of all of your wickedness, instead we get to run through the gate out into wide open spaces, and grace is awaiting from, for us. Amen? Church, this is the hope of the gospel. This is the hope of the gospel. This is what it means when Jesus says, I am the door. Amen? Because of what Christ has done, there's a way of escape. Amen? Let's let's stand together. We didn't plan this in our morning session. Uh, Shannon, worship, worship team, all of our music, would you mind coming back? I, I want to sing that song about running into wide open spaces. This is such a powerful moment in our worship this morning for me.
But I, I knew what I was going to preach, and you didn't. I, I want us to sing this song that we sang earlier in light of what I just preached. Amen. Let me let you in on a little secret. I didn't tell you this, this when I was getting started, but I, I, this, you, you've heard my little battle the last couple weeks about preaching too long. I told you this morning I was feeling really good. And I just said, I'm, I'm going to preach until I'm done. So I'm done. <laughs> Amen. Listen, if you don't know Jesus... Listen, we, we are accursed outside of Christ. We're guilty. We are under the weight of sin. The reproach of sin is a stain upon our life. We walk in shame. With Babylonian garments and gold and silver hidden under the, under the rug of our tent, Confession. Confession's a gate. Joshua said they can confess and give glory to God. Confession. You want to know how to get through the gate? Acts chapter 4 tells us. It says repent. Repent. Repent at times of refreshing. You want to go out and enjoy those green pastures? Repent. Repent that refreshing can come from the presence of the Lord. Jesus makes a way for us to experience the refreshing of God, to come into the presence of God because of what he did. If you don't know Jesus Christ this morning, while we're worshiping, I want to invite you to come down to this altar, and I want to pray with you.